Episode 72 of The Passive Hang, and today we have Lewis Yost, who is a hand balancer and movement coach who resides in Perth, Australia, teaching mainly out of the huge facility Movement Co. I've connected with Lewis a couple of times at the previous Gains in the Ghetto workshop, and I was really excited to invite him here on the podcast because despite his young age, I was really astounded both at his ability to display unbelievable hand balancing feats, but also his ability to explain and to teach not only hand balancing, but a range of other topics which I was exposed to at those workshops. Today's conversation is a bit of a continuation of the topics that were discussed in episode 21, which featured Harry Williams, who introduced us into, I guess, handstand fundamentals. And here we go deeper into the topic of hand balancing, covering what to do when going past the straight straddle and tuck shapes, talking about shape shifting, head positions, handstand walking, dynamic entries, and then also touching on some press work as well. I hope you guys enjoy this one. There's a lot of value out there, especially for all those intermediate practitioners out there working on their hand balancing. You guys are going to enjoy this one, as did I. We're going to get started. Here we go. All right, guys, we have Lewis Yost on the podcast. Welcome to the Passive Hang, Lewis. I'm glad to get you on, you know, after we've connected in person a couple of times. Um, for all those listening, yeah, Lewis is a coach over at Movement Co. over in Perth, Australia, uh, part of the whole um, incredible movement community scene that you guys got out um, over there and also, yeah, a really accomplished practitioner, incredible hand balancer, um, one of my most favorite moments um, in, from the Gains in the Ghetto workshop was when you were doing that one arm routine in front of everyone whilst um, <laughs> Damo Cooper was playing the guitar. Yeah, classic. It was, uh, yeah. That was, was good. Good times. Quite a, quite a sight to behold, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, keen to just um, get into a bit more about, yeah, like your where where you've come from and your training journey um uh in in this conversation so i mean yeah maybe to kick it off you know like if we were to wind back to the very start of where this all happened for you like how, how did it how did how'd you catch the bug um it's definitely like the timing of it um uh, it wasn't just something that I really wanted to do. I didn't really know anything about movement. Um, I didn't really research too heavily into it. Um, movement Co opened around like late 2015, but I, well, I think December 2015. Um, and then I found it on Instagram um, from a mate of mine who was going there uh, to do like parkour and climbing. And I was just bored on like one school holidays. So, and I was, I only lived probably like 10 minutes away as you do um, in Perth. Things are relatively close if you live like center. Yep. Um, so yeah, ended up just going to Movement Co um, on one of just like the open, open sessions there for the climbing and parkour. Um, Cause I've, I grew up around like, yeah, like bush and park and like parks. So I was always like quite active and 
yeah, like car, I could walk on my hands and chuck cartwheels and like climbing trees and stuff. So it interested me to go to like some actual parkour gym and mm-hmm. climbing gym because there was nothing really, I haven't heard of anything really like that um, prior. So yeah, got, um, ended up on the first day, met one of the coaches, um, had heaps of fun on like the parkour. Um, and that was the main uh, area that I wanted to work on when I uh, went to the gym. I had no interest in learning to handstand. Um, I got told that there was a handstand class on that day. And mm-hmm. I thought because I could walk on my hands that, oh, that counts as a handstand. That surely classifies as one. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed I had one, but I was interested to go to that class just to see what it was like. Um, just yeah, being curious enough to do it. Um, and then, yeah, the next day I went back. Um, and then that's the first time I met Harry and we're in a class of, it was just like two other guys. And this is, um, like a while ago, this is before there was any like real, any like structure, um, for learning to have, and you had like your, your gymnastics way of doing it. Um, and you had. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much the main way of doing it. And at the time, that's how um, Harry taught it because he was teaching like yoga um, and taking bits of pieces off like um, Edo, uh, yoga, yeah, and a bit of gymnastics. So the drills mm. were pretty wacky. Um, and like- just, just for the listeners listening, Harry is Harry Williams. Um, if anyone anyone is wondering, he's also, yeah, uh, well, I guess, yeah, you're uh, one of the crew over there and... Um, I've had on the podcast before, but anyway, continue. Yeah. And so, yeah, we ended up just doing like more novelty drills, if anything. I mean, there was the usual chest wall, um, like conditioning, but yeah, it was mainly just like novelty and playing around with, um, yeah, like kicking up and some Swiss ball stuff. So, um, yeah, came there, thought I could handstand and then obviously just got shut down from Harry, um, <laughs> usual Harry things. So realized I'm like, oh, well, fuck, okay, I can't handstand. Um, and that kind of pushed me into wanting to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, I would like to be able to stay still. Um, and I've never seen someone outside of um, like gymnastics stay still. So it kind of opened up a whole new world and um, different perspective into um, that type of skill training. Yeah, were you... Um- just really attracted by the challenge of it. It sounded like you were a pretty like physical kind of kid, you know, the fact that you'd already been like walking around your hands and doing cartwheels and weren't too afraid of that sort of stuff. Like, um, yeah, was that sort of because you had friends like doing all that sort of stuff or, or like maybe, um, you know, brothers or sisters who, who, who was into that? How had that happen? I played a lot of, um, like soccer or football growing up and I was always like being goalkeeper because you just like dive and just send it pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, I've always kind of been, yeah, more towards that side of things and just, yeah, just exploring like the bush and like climbing trees. It kind of eliminates a lot of the fear elements that you get, I guess, um, with the other aspects in life, um, especially like land-based. Um, so I think that actually kind of helped me eliminate that um, fear mm-hmm. with like kicking up upside down. Like I wouldn't really mind if I just like fell on my ass and 
yeah, I'll just get back up and try again, really. Yeah. Um, and it was strange because I didn't have any idea of perception of what any of this training was. I didn't really know what um, a proper handstand or any of that was. You know, I knew it was a gymnastics move and, um, but I didn't really, I didn't really think about it too much, but seeing like your everyday folk um, just chuck a handstand, it kind of, yeah, it surprised me in a way. Um, just in a way I'm like, okay, that's, this is weird. Why would, how does someone who's like, cause there was a ballet dancer there. I didn't know he was a ballet dancer, but he was probably like, you know, like mid forties. Um, he did ballet. I don't know if he was a ballet dancer, but he, um, yeah, dancer of some sort, just chuck a handstand and hold for 50 seconds. And then you'd see someone like Harry, um, you know, just chuck a handstand and hold. So I'm like, this is really odd. Like, I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why this interests me, but just that yeah. curiosity. Um, and I think the people as well, those certain personalities, um, I kind of gelled well with. Um, yeah, and that kind of just, yeah, led me down the track to wanting to train handstands a bit more. But I wasn't, I didn't click straight away. It's not something I really wanted to learn. I was still like obsessed with the climbing and parkour. Um, but I like ended up, yeah, just like falling, like knocking myself out a couple of times doing parkour and um, kind of lost a bit of interest in climbing and got a bit of fear with that certain type of training. Mm. Um as well as just being bullied by Harry into coming to class on like Fridays instead of doing climbing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, once yeah. that happened, I really started to be like, okay, this is something I want to, I want to get like 60 seconds. That was my first goal. And I was really like tight as well. Um, I couldn't like touch my toes. I was like pretty young. So I was 14. So it didn't take me too long to get that range, but, um, just being, uh, kind of outplayed by guys who are like 40 and could touch their toes and like sit comfortably in a pancake. I couldn't do that. Mm. Um, and the fact that I couldn't do that just triggered me. So I'm just like, nah, all right, this is what I'm going to do now. I want to be able to touch my toes and I want to be able to get 60 seconds. I guess it's all that adolescent energy, you know, you uh, yeah. look into to express yourself in a challenge and saw people that were, you know, older, more well-practiced and go, you know, why can't, why can't I do that? I, I remember sort of, yeah, those, um, those days and you were like really hungry as well. So, but it is a little bit different, you know, talking about that sort of age, like, um, to, you know, uh, at that sort of age, like, uh, you do start getting, I guess, um, into things, but you know, for a lot of people, they might get, it might be like, oh, okay, I got to like start really studying now, you know, for, for example, because like the, you, you you're starting to think about the end of school or um, like for yourself. Yeah. Was it just, um, was there something more that just sort of drove you to keep on coming back to movement at, at that age? And I injured myself playing like uh, football or like soccer and injured my knee and I couldn't play for ages. Um, and I think that was just from like, yeah, just overdoing it and playing like too much soccer and I had like patella problems like they didn't track right so I couldn't play for like a year mm. um and I kind of like lost interest in that um so I wanted like something new and a different challenge um and I was like because I had that year off I was like eager to do something and like had heaps of you know energy and motivation to do it so 
um, that paired with like a supportive community like Movement Co where you get like different, you know, age groups, um, different walks of life. I think that really um, was a good recipe for, yeah, progressing and just wanting to get the skill. Yeah. Where would you say like were you pretty consistent from the very start or were you sort of, uh, was there a certain point where you're kind of like, okay, now I'm going to get a bit serious, you know, start like, handstanding this many times a week and i didn't really think about too much of it i just kind of did it off when i felt like it really like i used to just walk around i could i was still obsessed with walking on my hands but it was like scorpion so i'm like okay i can't balance it straight yet but i'll try to straighten my line and walk so i used to just walk around the house just every now and then like Mm -hmm. um yeah in the handstand um and I used to stretch quite a lot as well. Um, like before school, I used to stretch. Um, and more just to build like a, yeah, I don't know, just to discipline myself really. I don't know why I kind of thought like that, but yeah, ended up stretching a lot before school and after school, um, like at the gym mm-hmm. as well as yeah, doing those classes. But I never... I never was like, all right, this today I'm going to be doing, you know, like an hour session. It was like, okay, I'll rock up to class. I've done a bit of stretching today. And that just kind of kept kind of like a snowball effect, I guess. Yeah. Cause, um, you know, even thinking about comparing it to like soccer at that sort of age, you kind of got like all guys around your age going playing soccer and, you know, that sort of keeps you getting involved. But I'm guessing at Movement Co, you know, were there many like other sort of youngsters getting into it or it's just like just this diverse sort of range of people? and More just diverse sort of range and like you'd have, um, you know, ladies in their like 60s um, being able to, or but doing chest to wall and like giving it a crack. And the fact that I could see it doesn't really matter what, you know, age or, you know, body type you have, you can still get the skill eventually. And I think because I knew that I'm like, wow, okay, I have, you know, I could actually take this um, and progress quite quickly if I really like put the time in and if I just keep doing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that kind of really um, forced me to do it. Well, it didn't force me, but made me want to do it. Yeah. And when did you start doing like, I guess, um, having like a program for yourself, you know, and, and, a, and a more like, I guess, um, a training structure rather than, you know, I'm just doing some stretching before, you know, in the morning and then going to class. Was there a certain point where you're kind of like, okay, now, now I've got like a program that I'm, that I'm doing. I got my first program from Harry in like 2017. So probably a year a year and a half after I joined. Um, but I probably stopped doing classes in like November. So I trained from January to November. I did like a lot of classes there. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my 60 seconds, got a press, uh, muscle up, like a, like a basic um, ring routine, like your forward roll, shoulder stand, uh, muscle ups. Um, but when I first started training one arms. So I wanted to get like 60 seconds. And then once I got that, Harry was like, oh, you should learn how to press. I'm like, what's a press? Then obviously showed me, 
train for it. Um, and then it's like, oh, I want a pike press. Then it just kept going on until um, we got to like one arms. And um, Harry trained it like a tiny bit before. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, we kind of learnt the same, or we learnt at the same time and did this exact same process um, together for about, well, well, kind of, kind of still are in it. We still are in a way, but um, yeah, we kind of learned all the fingertip holds and endurance stuff at the same time, probably from like September to yeah, like June. And then I really started to be like, okay, I want, I want a front lever. I want a back lever um, planche. But from that period, from September to June, it's like September, 2016 and June, yeah, 2017, I pretty much just did uh, one arm stuff and hand balancing. Oh, so this is quite interesting. So yeah, you're kind of there sort of at um, when Harry himself as well was just learning to one arm. And as you were mentioning before, um, that's, yeah. he, he was sort of teaching handstands in a different sort of way compared to how he teaches it now. Uh, and then you sort of seen the, the evolution, I guess, to this, like, I don't know what to call, call it, but like this, new age of like teaching teaching hand balancing you know beyond the um the gymnastics way or the other sort of way like um i think we've all seen it on instagram now it's sort of like there's a whole wealth of like better information out there to to teach um or to learn handstands at the moment so uh i guess um from from what you've sort of experienced uh, with uh, how you were um, approaching and trying to learn some of these the, these skills back then to to now, like what do you think um, has has changed a lot with your understanding with going okay, like approaching say even like the handstand itself to to the way you teach handstands now? I imagine that the way you run a class now is really like you guys just like know what you're doing, right? Yeah. I think this, like the specifics with it, it was way more like generalized beforehand. Um, and the information that you received was from mainly like teaching kids and like gymnastics. Um, so this whole kind of change from like adults and more specific drills and like, um, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest change I've seen. Um, not just doing generalized, um, you know, conditioning or generalized skill work to get you there. Like everyone, especially adults, are a lot harder to mold. Mm. So you gotta you gotta do things in a very specific way in order for them to get the same type of um, well feeling um, of the skill and yeah, same kind of uh, progressions. Yeah, one thing that pops into mind, like say, especially for adults, right, is um, people jumping into it, you know, so you, you can, can kind of like underestimate the handstand, especially at the start, right? And then, you know, yeah. everyone knows, like, say, a particular famous weak point is like your wrists can only cop so much load, um, especially at the start, right, before you can, um, it can be like, there for a, even for a full class like a normal normally a class is like an hour right um yeah, and then yeah. on your on your hands so how do you guys normally get around that if like 
you know, someone is kind of like in their first sort of three months, maybe they can cop like five, 10 minutes or something. That's it on, on their hands, but still remain specific enough for handstand development. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, the way that I would do it is like give them the spiel of like adaptation to like a stressor. Um, so if you, you know, your joints and ligaments take those like nine months for them to adapt to whatever stress you're putting them on, um, your muscles take those like four to six weeks. So um, in the beginning stages, like conditioning is way more important, depending what, depending what your starting base is, obviously. But mm. let's just say like Karen rocks up to class, like you got to conditioning is the, definitely the most important part. Um, Cause if you lack that conditioning and the baseline level of like just strength and stability, then the skill is going to be a lot harder to perform. Um, not only because you can't, or you're not strong enough, but there's also that fear factor in it because you're not mm. strong enough. Um, so yeah, conditioning and starting with like the basics of just like your wrists um, and understanding what needs to be conditioned first um, because handstands is a skill that requires specific conditioning in mm. yeah, certain muscles. Mm-hmm. So identifying where the weaknesses are of that person, where the strengths are as well. Um, and yeah, just like real high volume, um, but low intensity. So like, you know, your, your palm, ra- your heel raises or palm raises doing, getting into the habit of consistently, um, yeah, working on your conditioning. So I would say first thing for your handstands is working on your wrist. They're not a weight, they're not a full weight bearing joint and then probably never will be. Um, so well. I mean, they will be to a certain extent um, eventually, but when you first start, they're definitely not. So it's just getting into the habit of, yeah, conditioning these guys up. Um, Then your shoulders and scaps, obviously they're the most important part. They're like the upper body um, or they're like your hips for your upper body. They keep your structure stable. Mm -hmm. Um, So working on those areas first, probably for the first like, three to six months is essential. Um, and the better your conditioning gets, uh, the easier the skill is to understand because you're not fighting to stay up there. You're kind of looking for the next thing um, to do after. And a lot of that as well, if you lack the conditioning, um, yeah, you're going to have that fear towards going upside down because your body kind of gives you those signals, even if you don't necessarily know it, but it's going to give you those um, signals when you, if you're walking up the wall or if you're trying to, um, to kick up, for example, you just, your structure won't be stable enough, um, to support you when you're going up. If you start from like baseline. Mm. And yeah. So do you use like the sort of certain markers like, um, to hold a 60 second sort of chest to wall before going more into freestanding work? Like how does that, how do you normally sort of, uh, approach that sort of whole area or do you kind of um introduce more just like going for for it in the middle of the room attempts like at a at an earlier stage for people it it's it's gonna differ from person to person like depend if you're like really militant you don't need as much play to get to you know to progress but you know if depending what your priorities are and where you want to take your training um 
you still need that element of like play in it as well because you need that novelty to kind of keep the fire going. Otherwise, you're just going to mm. get bored. You know, there's only so many palm raises you can do um, before you're like, bro, why, why can't I do heel pulls? Like, um, yeah. so it, it really depends on the person. Um, but I would say if you have like 30 seconds for rounds in your chest wall, like 30 to 60 seconds for rounds in chest wall, um, in a like good position, not like hanging off your shoulders or like dumping all the weight into your spine and chest, then yeah, I would say you're probably ready for heel pulls or you're probably strong enough to be able to kick up and do your sets of heel pulls. But if you, you know, if you're bailing out at 20 to 30 seconds and you're not able to maintain that for rounds, then um, yeah, you probably just need to spend the first yeah three to six months just getting stronger. Mm. And do you have a certain format that you like to run your handstand classes in? Like, cause normally, you know, if you have a diverse range of um, people coming and they're all sort of like at different sort of skill levels as well, you know, sometimes it's a bit, it's a bit tricky, right? And how to, how to yeah. split it up and how to still make it engaging for everyone as well. So do you like to run through it in a specific way um, or, or split, split it up in, in a specific way so that, you know, everyone gets the most out of it? Yeah, so a lot of the more advanced um, people, like the ones that are working on the press or like working on shapes, they're, they're like regulars, um, really. Um, and if they're not regulars, they'll join in with the regulars because they're obviously more suited towards that. Hmm. Um, or like not, not the regulars, but I mean like, you know, the people that have been coming for like years. Hmm. Um, so obviously get them together because they've known each other for so long and they, you know, they're there for that. They're there to train obviously, but they're also there for that social aspect of it. Um, and just to yeah work with one another as well. So um, I'll, I'll get them, you know, everyone joins in on the warm up. There's like a general warm up. you know, might do a few like partner games and then we'll, everyone warms the wrists up at the same time um, all together. Then we'll do uh at the moment currently and it and it's it changes so at the moment i've been doing um the regulars will spot one another um and i do rounds of like back to back so either alignment work like those stick drills you got your you got your body line stick drills um and the chest wall but for those that don't necessarily you know you don't need to do face down body line or or back or like normal body line if you already have freestanding, I just don't see the point of that. Um, your shape's going to evolve over time. If you do drills like, you know, tuck, for example, you don't need more stick drills. But um, so for those people that don't necessarily need it, um, like the guys that can do 30, 60 seconds, um, I'll get them to spot each other or I'll mm -hmm. just get them to kick up um, at the same time as the people doing chest wall or stick drills. And then they'll switch over. So those that do freestanding stuff, they'll do specific stretching or just a general stretch like Jefferson's or couch stretch or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, stretching that relates to handstand. So more like, like shoulder flexion or like forward folding. Um, and then for like the beginners, I'll do, yeah, like your, your stick drills and your chest wall. Um, and that's pretty, that's done pretty much, all together 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, after those three rounds, you'll split off into whatever you're working on. So yeah, the reg, the, um, the like OGs, they'll go to like, yeah, whatever they're working on. I'll write them up a specific yeah, program depending on who's there. And then, so they, cause they don't really need too much guidance. They can just come up mm-hmm. to me and just ask. And then, you know, I'll spend like, I don't know, five minutes or so just like going through that mm-hmm. but um i'll generally work with those beginners all the guys that are um yeah still on the wall for most of the class and yeah the those guys can just come and grab me when I, um whenever there's like a gap yeah it's nice it's sort of like you know like for the pe- people who know what they're doing you know they can sort of self-organize and just come to you to, to consult whenever they need need the help and you're kind of you know more there for the um for the energy and training with someone as well because you know yeah. for for a lot of like myself included you know a lot of handstands just at home by myself all the time so you know <laughs> yeah. if i had a movement code it'd be it'd be awesome you know just to change it up and um i felt that at, you know the gains in the ghetto workshop as well like afterwards you're like so locked in you're like oh I think just training with other people, you know, it just lift, lifts you up. And you can still learn a lot from that. Like adults learn mainly from look like observation. So, mm. you know, you're, you're still getting stuff out of that session. And especially because there's such a wide variety of people, you can pick up on things um, or just have different ideas of, oh, that's how you do it instead of, you know, that way or that person's doing it differently to, um, you know, that person. Yeah. I want to um, hear you just expand a little bit more about this whole um, use of, you know, the body line drills and how you mentioned, you know, like after a certain point, you're just better with just working on the handstand straight itself because, you know, I think the body line drills are a classic one where um, like I did it myself, you know, for more than a few phases as well. And, you know, they're, they can turn into a grind as well, but, yeah, know, they never get easier. They're always shit. Like that's the bad thing. Like <laughs> you don't know if you're like, man, this is still hard. Should I still be doing this? It's it's good for understanding like the tension needed in order to keep the body as one piece. Because mm. um, at the beginning, um, it's obviously it's hard to calibrate yourself. You don't know how to calibrate yourself in um. And keeping the and understanding how to keep the body as one piece, it's a lot yeah, easier to figure out where you are in space and how to move your structure in space compared to if you're like two separate pieces, you're always fighting against one another. So um for beginners, it's I would, you know, I didn't really use body line as well when I first started. There, again, there wasn't as much, there wasn't like a real like proper system for it. Um, I mean, there was, but it's obviously very uh, it was a lot more generalized. Mm-hmm. So I did stuff more like hollow body and core conditioning instead of like alignment work. But yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, body line, um, just understanding how to connect your lower body to the upper body, um, staying active and staying as one piece mm-hmm. is, I would say, yeah, essential when you're first starting out as a beginner. Um, and it's good to like, especially drills like face down body line, it builds a lot of, uh, active range and in your in your shoulders mm-hmm. um, especially in your traps and when you first start out um, generally speaking 
you're a lot stronger in the chest than you are in the traps. So if we can understand how to take the weight out of the chest and in towards the traps, um, it takes the load yeah, out of the chest and kind of evens it out. So we're not just dumping straight away. And if you dump a lot of the weight into the chest, um, you obviously, the rest of the body is going to follow as well. So you might dump more weight into the spine. So understanding the tension is important. Um, not to have the perfect straight line, but just to calibrate yourself in a way that um, evens out the tension and makes it a bit more efficient, I guess. Yeah, and uh, continue on, on with this, um, love to hear, you know, you, your thoughts around, you know, the development of the straight line because, you know, that's something that it becomes like some coveted thing, you know, because of social media and stuff like yeah. that. But, um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, I guess in in the usual development for people, when when do you think that that starts becoming like maybe a a good place to focus like your your study on? Because I've heard you guys mention that you know, and I think we know like doing a straight line makes it harder as well, so it can actually like maybe hold you back um, at the start if you fixate on it too much. But yeah, just keen to hear you expand a bit more about that area and how you sort of. Um, coach your students through that that process um yeah so yes the line obviously well obviously it's going to evolve over time um i think of it almost like yeah a clock it like starts at the chest and then it just you slowly start to work your way back um the more advanced you get so you level one planched banana stand in the chest, dump the weight into the spine. You got that arched shape um, and you're mainly doing like overbalance work, um, heavy on the fingers, heavy on um, more like this overbalance part of the hand. Um, again, this is yeah, generalizing here, but uh, over time, once you develop or a basic understanding of how to use these guys, um, it's it makes it even easier to understand how to calibrate yourself um, upside down. You're not just going off for um, like luck every now and then um, you have a bit more awareness of yeah, how to keep the body as one piece um, because you've just done enough reps to stay up longer, uh, long enough. Um, and if you'd want to move on from there, which most people do, because why would you want to have a trash shape? Like it doesn't make sense. Um, and you, and you need to, you, your shape needs to change in order to move on to other skills. Like you can't do a tuck unless you have a really good planche. You can't have a tuck if you're dumping all the weight into the chest. Mm. Um, well, you're not going to have a good looking tuck. Uh, um, yeah. Or it's just some like elevated weird planche thing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when you do, I, I mean, and that's the stage where you probably don't need the stick drills. You know, you have enough stability overhead to not sink down every, you know, every now and then you you can keep the shoulders braced. You can keep the body as one piece. Um, yeah, you don't need to be doing stick drills. So stuff like just um, tuck, for example, um, that's going to help dump even more weight up into yeah the back and a bit more of like your posterior um and the more weight you can stay 
the more weight you can dump into like the traps and stabilize through the back. Um, yeah, it's like a clock. It's going to go more towards here instead. Um, and that's going to straighten your lineup. Um, as long as you can keep the body as one piece as well. Um, yeah. Your line's going to be a lot straighter for that. So there's, there's, as your shape evolves, there's also going to be better drills that you can do and access um, in order to get your line, uh, yeah, looking better. Yeah, I think this whole um, relationship between the chest and the traps is something that I didn't really come to appreciate until um, until I actually, you know, met you guys and started speaking to to you guys to understand. And um, I, I think it's quite an interesting one because, yeah, I was kind of like stuck in the planche sort of chest dominant sort of way until I got more of an appreciation for it. Um, but uh, yeah, like for, for me, I think that the tuck became something that was like an important tool. Um, but I did pair it with still like a lot of the stick drills or even like a lot of the, the trap three raises or like yeah. um, other sort of ones to, to help improve that. So yeah, that's still like something that you, you, you kind of like pair pair it together like other than just the tuck like yeah maybe like yeah, there's definitely what, other ways to go about it for sure yeah what it what are some like i guess favorite tools that you like to use to develop the traps other than the tuck um so i like drills that work under balance and trying to find whatever um that weightless um stacking position is so drills like uh, shoulder line push-ups where you're leaning forwards, like pushing away from the wall. You're not dumping down into the chest, but you're trying to push up as you lean forwards. So this is um, like ch chest to wall and then yeah. you, yep. And then you're kind chest of, uh, yeah, shoulder planching, leaning away and then like a, yeah. a, toe, a toe pull, but a bit further away. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's kind of like a planche lean, but you're vertical. Um, and instead of dumping down and letting the sp um, spine follow, you're staying on like an angle um, and you're pushing away from the floor. Mm. Uh, and this just encourages more elevation. Um, yeah. And less just yeah, dumping down in the, into the chest um, as well as like acts like opening up that range as well. So, you know, um, this is mainly like these drills or like in your case, you were, it's more of a mobility issue. Um, mm -hmm. If you get someone who's really flexible, they're already going to be able to, as if they're, you know, if they're strong enough, they're going to be able to do those shoulder line push-ups, or they're going to be able to hold tuck already. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, generally most people dump the weight into the chest. Um, but yeah, once you can stack in a position where you're close enough um, up against the wall, you're quite close up against the wall. Um, yeah. You can probably start playing around with, uh, more of those underbalance um, drills, like yeah. even even splitting the legs chest to wall, um, if you can't necessarily join the legs together um, and lean forward on that angle because it is heavy on the shoulders. Like it's like a vertical planche lean. That's how I think of it. And mm -hmm. planche lean in general, like it's quite hard to do no matter what level you're at. So um, if you want to make it a bit easier take a bit of leverage away from the wall by splitting the legs um, and that'll help you bring the hips over, um, which will allow you to get the feet off a bit easier. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, with, uh, I guess where I want to take some of this conversation now, um, 
And for the, all those listening, I guess, uh, previously, you know, when we had Harry Williams on the, on the passive hang, he went through, I guess, a bit of a handstand foundations and went through like that, the classic shapes to work on worth working on, um, yeah. are the, the straight tuck and, and straddle, um, for various reasons, you know, with, um, uh, getting the scapula in the, in the right, uh, of the ability to, to move the scapula into certain positions whilst you are inverted. But, um, yeah, what I wanted to ask you about was say you start getting a handle to like a decent sort of tuck, a straddle, you got the 60 seconds sort of straight, you know, where do we take it from here? What other sort of shapes uh, or complexity within the handstand is worth starting to explore from, from that point? Um, so if you already have, I'll just I'll backtrack a tiny bit. If you already have like straddle, you probably should be playing around with the alternatives like diamond because that's pretty mm -hmm. much straddle just with the knees flexed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So playing around with those straddle alternatives like one leg bent, um, diamond, uh, stuff like half straddle or split, you should, I would say you should have those um, before you move on to tuck. Um, just getting really getting used to those high and low shapes that are not as top heavy mm -hmm. um, and yeah, playing around with those alternatives in the underbalance and overbalance. And then makes, once that makes sense. Yeah. It's good because yeah. they should be accessible if you got that straddle. So you get a bit of like, would you introduce a bit of shape changing between those things as well at that stage? Yeah. I would say like being able to like split like the, like front split, as well as like straddle those like horizontal um planes as well as i don't really know what the plane is going like frontal planes mm -hmm. if you can call it that um but in those shapes that aren't really taxing on the shoulders then you, you probably should have that um when you're working alongside tuck and then once you have tuck that's like relatively good not like a slightly bent knee position um, I mean, like a 90 degree tuck or like even further. Um, you probably have enough, yeah, elevation and push and fine tuning through the hands to move on to stuff like your bent leg sevens. So think of it as straight, mm -hmm. flex one knee, keep the knees together and like work your way down. So you're holding, yeah, kind of like a half seven. Mm -hmm. And this stuff is good for um, just increasing your elevation so being able to push a lot taller being able to dump more weight further down the back um which is just going to help you push higher um and it will also help you towards being able to um, support yourself in stuff like press um pressing or um yeah like flags so if you can do like tuck um i would say the next stage is probably I would, yeah, I would say like pressing um, as well as some like light flag work. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you have, I would, I would say like get your, get your 60 and make sure you have like 30 to 60 seconds of like comfortable shapes and comfortable sequences that you can do just so your awareness is, yeah, sharp enough to the point where, you, you know, you, you don't really have to think too much you can just brace through the shoulders and isolate that area whilst um, moving 
yeah, moving around that structure. Yeah, I think it's um, always quite interesting when you start going and start playing around with shapes. Like I know for me, it became this like new world where you're suddenly getting so frustrated again because you can't figure out how to just like, you can hold like that 60 seconds, but then now when you're trying to do shapes, it just like drops down to like, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, depending on the shape. Yeah. And for me, for me, it was like any transition where I had to like pass through the tuck, especially was just so taxing that uh, like it would just, um, every, every time where I, I would have to go through that, that shape. And even now, like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd struggle w- with that. So definitely like a, a point for, for me to work on, but it does change it versus just holding that static position and yeah. setting yourself right there versus like going to a, from a, a, a different shape and then into it. Yeah. I would say working on your straight to tuck, um, that's going to help you keep the shoulders, um, yeah, really braced. Um, and understanding or just learning how to not just dump down as you stand up, um, kind of working on those transitions that um, don't really um, work um, versus if you were to just, um, yeah, go down, tuck the knees in and keep the shoulders solid. Um, so working on your straight to tucks as well as straddle to tucks, um, those are probably the next thing that you should work on if you're doing um, static tuck holds already. Straddle to tuck, I would say, is a pretty good um, transition um, as long, and it kind of helps you understand um, being in the kind of deep deeper position in the hip so more of a flexed position um depending depending your straddle as well like you can only get away with so much flexion through your um lumbar if your straddle is not as wide mm. um where you won't be able to flex the lumbar if your straddle um isn't too wide or if you if you can flex the lumbar and your straddle is not wide you're gonna have to have quite strong shoulders um but i would say when people are working on stuff like pressing straddle to tuck is a good go-to transition because it helps you understand how to keep your shoulders stacked whilst um, moving in and out of that flexion um, in your lumbar spine. And obviously you need to be flexed in your lumbar um, in order to stay compressed um, for when you're in that bottom part of a straddle press. Yeah. I guess it is also like, going from the straddles to tuck the, the change in the shoulder position as well. You're really, um, you're really training like that transition from going from the being more chest dominant to being more trap dominant and then back again as well. And, and pushing yeah, yeah. and elevating those shoulders. And, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely my, my weak point. And so I know probably for a lot of people out there listening would be the same. Yeah. Whilst keeping the shoulders braced as well. So it's understanding how to isolate one area and move the other one. Um, but it's really minuscule, you know, like the chest versus the shoulders, they're not too far apart. So um, kind of getting the body used to moving in those areas um, more automatically is going to help you understand how to move through more advanced movements um, later down the track, like, like pressing, because you do, you start off, elevating and you're in the chest um, and then you move more into the back um, as you bring your hips up. So 
um, yeah, it is, it is a useful transition to help you yeah, understand what things need to be switched on in more advanced uh, skills. And one drill that you guys took us through in, in the last um, ghetto workshop is this one where, you know, you're kind of just moving your legs around anywhere really. And almost like uh, trying to let go of any sort of like uh, notion of shapes or like even, even tension within the legs and just trying to see when, uh, yeah. wherever they go. And I really enjoyed that as well. Is that something that you also like give or get people to actively like do consistently or was, you know, was that more of just a, a playtime exploratory thing? What do you see that the value with like sort of um, just that open chaos in, in, in the handstand? Sometimes I see on Instagram as well, people just, you know, kicking their legs around everywhere. Um, what are your views on that? It's more, I would say it's more of like, a, the creative element for it and more of like a play element, um, but it also tests. Um, it also, yeah, tests you in a more of a creative way, I guess. Um, it's not just like your, your stereotypical diamond straddle. Um, it's seeing what you can get away with, um, with as little tension as possible. Um, and what areas can you, keep on um while switching the rest off so yeah it's it's good if you have that base um and yeah it's more of a yeah they're creative and um exploration part of it i guess yeah because now even um how you've like re-talked about i guess some of those particular transitions like to the tuck as well i, I noticed um nothing about me when i play with some of these uh just like more chaos and uh, I guess inverted expressive elements. Like I also kind of always dump just into the, uh, into the chest and then get, get lazy with that. And so then it's hard to, um, it, I guess I'm not yeah. working on just specifically sometimes my weaknesses, which is just like those, those tuck transitions, which would potentially give me more freedom with trying to play around with all these different handstand shapes. Yeah, um, and it's also good to think, okay, tuck is, well, straddle's quite chest dominant. How can I make this um, less chest dominant or how can I make this more chest dominant while still being upside down? Mm. So it's good to, yeah, just a good to play around with instead of just your usual um, warm-up as well. So how can I flag but keep, um, you know, my shoulders in the exact same position. Um, what happens if I dump a bit more or what happens if I bend the knee and dump a bit more weight down into the flag? Um, what happens to my shoulders as I do this? So it's a good to, um, yeah, find out your own, like your own body in a way to find out um, and navigate through um, your yeah strengths and weaknesses throughout the body. And do you see like um, a lot of value with maybe just building up even longer endurance holds in, in the straight handstand, like once you reach that 60 seconds or yeah. What do you, what do you think? Um, I would say endurance is still like important, but you don't need to have five minutes. Um, and you don't need to work towards five minutes to be able to one arm, for example, um, 
yeah, you, you got to be realistic and you got to prioritize what skills you actually want. And I think people get caught up in the fact that, you know, I need like five minutes when in reality we're not making an act and we're not Russian or Chinese, you know, yeah, you're just like, <laughs> you, you want to work towards one arm. You're going to be there for, you know, maybe 90 seconds max if you're doing fingertip holds. Um, and if you're doing uh, just enough handstands and enough rounds, it's kind of like strength training in a way, you know, you're not doing your, one rm every session you do 60 70 percent and then if you do that consistently enough throughout the years good chance if you just chucked it and went for glory you'd probably get longer than you'd expect um yeah i would say what's more beneficial is probably yeah getting to like 90 seconds two minutes um especially mm -hmm. if you want to learn to one arm if you're doing fingertip holds just having enough endurance and push to stay on two arms for two minutes is just going to help you uh, be able to support yourself on one arm for, um, you know, 30 seconds, for example. If you're going to do 30 seconds both sides mm. um, and you only have a minute handstand, you probably are going to lack the endurance or going to be compensating through other areas because you lack the endurance through your shoulders. So like two minutes, I would say is your max. What you're probably better off doing once you can get like 90 seconds, uh, most goes, is moving on to like head position uh, two and three because what that does is takes that kind of vision element out of it. You don't know how to correct. You can't see your corrections through the hands mm -hmm. as much. And vision is a really important part of handstands, obviously. And I think of head position kind of like handstanding with your eyes closed. Um, so you're basing your balance purely off feel mm -hmm. um, instead of uh, where's the weight through the hands. Um, yeah, yes, it, it makes you a lot sharper through the hands and it makes you, yeah, base your balance purely off um, feel and what the rest of the body is doing. Yeah, what's your method in terms of like introducing these head positions and head position changes? Do you just... Um, do you just get people just working, just freestanding, starting to change it to different head positions? Or do you go back to the wall with uh, um, different head positions? How, yeah, how I would you, say yeah. the hardest part of head position work, especially if some, well, if you're doing head position work, you probably should be doing, you should already be balancing. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you could use it in different aspects, but, yeah, if you have like 30, if you have like 60 seconds, um, just neutral head position, I would say going back to the wall and working on, um, yeah, just heel pulling off into head position two, for example. Um, that's one way of doing it. The hardest part I reckon of head position work is that transition um, and isolating just the movement of your head. Um, because whatever the neck does, your spine often follows. Um, and if you're so reliant on just looking in that same spot um, and you were to move the head, the spine is going to follow and the shoulders will like drop down into like that overbalanced position most of the time mm. um, or underbalanced position most of the time. So um, you could work it on 
yeah, like heel to wall and heel pulling your way off. You can do it in like tuck chest to wall. Um, and, you know, looking at the knees. Um, and you can also just get used to doing it freestanding, but not going to, you know, head position two or head position three, scaling the movement of your head that's best suited to wherever you're at. If you can still balance and slightly move the head, give it another crack and see if you can go to that same spot or see if you can go a bit further than that. So there's different ways to approach it, but I would say a mixture of just scaling it to whatever level you're at freestanding um, and doing the proper head position two and three um, up against the wall um, would be two ways. I would say head position three sometimes is often um, like easier um, just because if like that's if you find that position, uh, head position two, I often found like you can get quite distracted if you're just looking out, especially if you're in like a gym um, and there's a lot, or if you're like outside, for example, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's hard to like clock off versus if you just like look at your feet and there's like a roof there. Mm. So, um, yeah, so there's so many different ways to approach it, but yeah, a mixture of scaling it, freestanding and just doing the actual skill up against the wall. Well, so I'll just clarify. So head position one, obviously, like just looking at the floor, head position yeah. two is like you're just looking behind behind you. Yeah. And then head three, three is like you're looking at your toes or the or the roof. Yeah. Yeah. I would say head position one and two, like you can get used to bringing your um, and you can do this in tuck because I feel like it stacks you in a good position by bringing like your ears in line with your bicep um, and just shifting the head, but still looking directly down from where you're at mm-hmm. is probably a good place to start because that's going to shift your shoulders in a position that's more suited to head position um, work because your shoulders do change, but mm-hmm. you've got to do it in a way that um, yeah is controlled um, and still allows you to stay up. But head position one you, you kind of yeah more more forwards head position two you're like stacked directly on top head position three you tend to be shifted more and towards like mm-hmm. um yeah more of a like slanted open position um so yeah bringing the ears in line with the bicep is a good place to start mm. if you're if you still want to balance um but shift the shoulders into more of a position best suited for yeah different head positions and when do you like uh, um, introducing this uh work is that also just after the 60 seconds along with all the shape changes that's a good good time uh it it really de- uh like it depends man i didn't do any head position work but i could one arm and it, i had like 30 seconds one arm but couldn't chin the chest um However, like it's good if you have a solid two arm base and those foundations are like, like solid because there's going to be gaps in your practice um, further down the track. And it's just mm-hmm. annoying having to go back to like two arm drills if you're already doing one arm drills. Um, but if you're like willing to do that, then I wouldn't, it's not necessary, but it does, it does help you. Yeah, but I would say like probably if you have yeah like sixty if you have like a sixty thirty second shapes comfortably, um, you already have like presses, 
like a straddle, um, like maybe a pike. Um, you have flags. Those things are more important to me than looking, um, you know, or changing your head position. Like mm. I would much rather have a straddle press, a pike press, you know, like a, a negative stolder, like it shapes comfortably than just a change in head position. Yeah, I guess. So it's like um, one of these, you can achieve quite a lot without having it, but then yeah. I guess it might come to a certain point where you either get interested in it or it sort of like exposes you in a balanced type of way where you go, okay, like actually I should, I should work on that. Yeah, it makes you necessary. a lot sharper. It makes you a lot sharper to balance through the hands. So if you can do head position, you know, three or yeah, if you can do head position three, for example, for 30 seconds in straight, and you were to go back to neutral, it is a lot easier to balance because your vision's back mm. um, and you're in a position that's more comfortable for you. So those transitions will be even sharper and moving in and out of shapes will be even sharper. So if you're already pretty sharp moving in those positions and you already have a comfortable two arm, like if you want to make it even sharper and better, like, yeah, play around with head position work. Yeah, because I sometimes I see you guys even with the crazy sort of head nods where you're just going back and forth from from one to three like really really quick. Yeah, so it's a good way to warm up and it's a good indicator to see how your balance is on the day as well because that's kind of like the next level of sharpness and fine tuning. So um, I would say like uh, head position. Yeah, it, it's 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 that next level of fine tuning. Um, and it's, a, I use it as a good indicator to see how my sessions are going. If I can do head nods quite comfortably, um, good chance that my balance is sharp on the day. Yeah. I guess this is a, a this is a side adjunct, which is like, if you are having like a sort of harder to balance day, you know, things aren't coming snappier to you at, the, um, say like, you know, you're doing the head nods and you're kind of falling out of it um how do you use how do you use that information then if if you notice yourself that it's like okay things aren't coming so quickly to me today like do you just keep on just plowing on with your session or extend your session like what do you what do you do i would still try to do i'll still do the session but um you know there's a point where you have to throw in the towel if it's like just not working for you but i'll just be stubborn enough to continue and just grind through my session. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, is that the approach as well that you'd recommend uh, sort of for, for people? Uh, yeah, you know, if- I, would, I would say that's the method that I would use. So yeah, you just grind through it. All right. Well, you know, I'll keep on grinding then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll be giving up on like your second setting. That's just not how it works. Yeah. Um, I guess we've always like sometimes been through that where like say it's like hold a 30 second or 60 second tuck tuck right and then you're just like not hitting it right and then you kind of always got that question going okay do I keep on grinding and going through another set or do I just call it because I got to do like some other things afterwards and if I end up doing like 10 sets where I'm just not making I'm just going to end up cooked for everything else yeah if you're short on time obviously don't spend your time don't spend that half an hour banging your head up against the wall just move on after 
I mean, don't give it, if you're giving it less than like five to 10 attempts, then you've not, you haven't tried hard enough. I reckon if you're giving up after like the third set, then bro, that's like every handstand. <laughs> like, <laughs> It doesn't work. Yeah, you're not you're not gonna see much progress using uh, that method. Yeah, I guess you know you need that resilience, right? And just to be like grit your teeth and go, okay, no, I'm gonna just keep keep on trying. Uh, and yeah, um, if it uh, happens today, it, it happens. Otherwise, yeah, just um, it's worth like I guess even in those failed attempts, you know, you're you're learning. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, in terms of like entries into the handstand as well, like when do you start? playing around with um with that whether it be sort of like entries other than the split kick up or even like ones where um you don't just place your hands you know directly on the ground and maybe it's like entering in in a sort of slightly different way to the side or like jumping into it like more gymnastic style like yeah yeah when do you or do you yeah start sort of introducing that type of work with um with students um I use that more as uh, like, again, like that novelty play element. Um, Two-footed kickups are, are important. Um, just learning how to brace the shoulders whilst the, all the hips dumped, like all of a sudden onto your shoulders is uh, just good to have. Um, it means your shoulders are yeah, strong enough to brace that impact. Um, split leg, it's more of like a gradual impact onto the shoulders, but um. Yeah, learning how to keep them braced whilst all those hips go from, or when, when you go from zero to 100 is um, important. But besides that, like, this is where those, like, 10 attempts, um, you know, comes in handy. If you're doing cartwheel entries or if you're doing more of the, you know, hands elevated on, like, a box or something, use that time or don't be – don't uh, – be so kind of systematic in that approach. Know that it's going to take you more than like a couple goes to get it. Um, don't really do it as sets and reps, just trial and error and learn through failure, really. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily program someone doing cartwheel entries like two reps. Um, and if you do two attempts, move on. Set a timer, set a timer get your phone out or something or just try in general um, and see where you went wrong. Yeah. Nice. So it's a more, yeah. Like this is like your, you know, you know how to handstand now. Now it's time to explore, see what sort of like learnings you can get by just, just trying that and what, yeah. and um, on different surface surfaces or heights or like if you're going to cartwheel into it as well and what, um, yeah. what sensations you can pick up on to, to get you into the position. Yeah. That should be something that, you have a handstand, you're walking around in the streets, like I'm going to chuck a cartwheel. Like your handstand should be at that that level of confidence, mm. um, I would say, if you want to move on. But um, the one time that I have used kickups as conditioning is when I did a workshop with um, Andre Bolarenko like a couple of years ago. It's probably like five years ago now thinking about it, but um. Yeah, did a workshop with him and we did just like tons of kickups from um, you were like kneeling down, kind of like hands already on the floor, 
um, like shins and knees are on the floor mm-hmm. and you'd go from um, that position and just like kick up into tuck as many times as you can for a certain amount, um, for like a certain time frame. That and would be taxing. Been, yeah, <laughs> I've never been so sore in my, <laughs> in my shoulders and traps from just doing kick-ups. Um, so you can use this conditioning, but I would say your handstand needs to be like solid and refined if you're going to play around with that stuff. Um, I mean, yeah. And some people can, like, I, I know a few people that are actually better, um, especially people that can balance in um, those low shapes, like straddle, but just can't join the legs together. A lot of those people probably find two-footed kickups a bit easier to understand um, just because they're used to balancing in those low shapes. But often those people have played around a lot with their handstand mm-hmm. um, instead of just being a bit more militant with it. Um, and therefore they're going to have to go back and fill in the gaps if they want to actually like take their practice um, to the next level, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. And interesting that Andre Bodorenko, I see, you know, uses that, that way of method of, of conditioning as well. Cause um, yeah, I mean, anytime where you kind of do like over like five entries, even if it's split kickups into the handstand, like it is, it is pretty taxing, right? Like when I'll you're just like kicking up that weekend. <laughs> my spine just did not spine anymore <laughs> and you know you mentioned it back at the very start you know handstand walking was something that you yeah. already could do before you uh, got i guess into the art of hand balancing but you know talking i guess now with your perspective now having developed it through all these years like yeah what role do you sort of see um hand like walking on the hands and um, other than holding like a, a static position in, in this whole field? Um, I would say it's probably like good fear practice. Um, and also, yeah, that, that play element as well. Like I had the handstand, I didn't have a straight handstand, but I could walk on my hands. Um, and I think coming from that base, I didn't have so much fear going into learning to kick up and hold a straight position. I wasn't worried of, I wasn't worried about if I was to kick up and someone's not spotting me that I'll just like fall down and proper like mm. yeah, fall fall down. So um, yeah, it's good like fear practice. Um, but if you come from a background where you like hold just that straight position, um, taking one hand in front of the other can be a bit daunting at times or just, um, yeah, it can be just different because you lack that awareness. So I would say the main use for that would be like fear practice as well as a bit of conditioning as well. Um, yeah. Like at the end of a session, um, instead of doing like wall walks or shoulder taps, you can just 100, 100 mile handstand sprint. <laughs> 100, 100. <laughs> 100 mile, 100 meter. I mean, you can go for 100 miles, proper David Goggins on your hands, but no, you can 100 meter, like, I don't know, 50 meter instead of doing shoulder tap. 100 meters sounds pretty long to me. Uh, (laughs) Give it a crack, Fayon. All right, I I got to try try it now. (laughs) Now that you laid down. (laughs) Imagine you did sports carnival, just like (laughs) on the hands. Um, Yeah, I guess, um, you know, 
natural progression for all these two arm shapes is you know there's always like the one arm handstand which is lurking you know it, it as um as the natural sort of thing to start exploring so what are the markers that you normally look um for a person before you start introducing some one arm work are there yeah are there certain ones or again if it's dependent on certain um body types as well if there's any insight or how you modify it there for people as well definitely a press um you need before start for, for learning to one i'm just a stable stable enough structure through your scaps and shoulders to support your whole body shifting over to one side so if you're quite bendy although you might be able to shift the hips over and pop up onto the fingers you're going to be balancing a lot through your hips which again, you still can learn to one arm, but you're going to have to go back and fill the gaps in later if you want to progress onto other things. So it's this conditioning element again um, that we need in those specific areas to perform the skill in a way that's going to allow us to move on to other skills. Um, so I would say like decent flags, just learning how to isolate the hips, moving side to side. Um, you need a press just for that extra bit of like scap elevation and just like raw pushing power. Um, a tuck and a seven definitely help. Um, I'll say work your way towards seven. Um, that's just going to build a lot of yeah strength in like those like lower parts of the traps. Um, yeah, that would pretty much pretty much be those main markers i would say um and not even like doing fingertip holds for long amounts of time um freestanding spending a bit of time doing your one arms up against the wall um similar to how you do your normal two arms mm -hmm. um and if you're going to do it freestanding maybe just get used to shifting um, a bit of the weight onto the fingers for a split second just to get used to the pathway of the movement instead of just like popping up onto the fingers and being like in a skewed position and thinking you're um, in that stacked position so like work on refinement up against the wall mm. um, and work on like the pathway and the feel um, yeah a bit more away from the wall but don't go for so much endurance at the beginning yeah Free it's kind of kind of like um, if you got you're just like raw pushing power and strength sorted, then that gives you that capacity where you don't have to worry too much about those elements and just work more on the actual skill element of the one arm handstand. Yeah, hundred percent. I see it a lot with um, like your, your person that goes to the, like the circus handstand class every now and then their form is perfect. Their alignment's perfect. But as soon as they move out of that, their margin of error is like tiny. So if you just develop the endurance and just like that raw, yeah, pushing power, um, yeah, I think it's easier to understand how to balance. Um, you just got to figure out um, where or what your shape is. And that is a lot shorter process, in my opinion, than building the strength and conditioning to um, once, yeah, building that strength and conditioning. Building the strength and conditioning takes... And that, yeah, depending who you are, but it's a lot longer process than if you already have that, finding what shape best suits you. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, having walked down this whole like one arm handstand path as well, you know, maybe are there some, uh, what are some of maybe the biggest takeaways that you took from, from that journey that maybe might be helpful for someone who's just starting on this journey at the moment? Um, I've, it's a really hard, it is an incredibly time consuming skill. So if you lack the time right now for it and you just can't prioritize at least half an hour to an hour a day on it, then I mean, you can gradually work there, but know that the process is going to take a lot longer and the process is already really long. Um, so be realistic with your goals. If you see a one arm on Instagram and you're like, this is sick, I'm going to do it. Get the idea in your head that it's like, it's not twice as long to get. It is like a hundred times as long to get. <laughs> There's so many more elements in it. Um, and it's even more inconsistent um, than a two arm when you first start learning. So yeah, if you don't have the time, I would say don't bother with the skill. Um, focus either on being more creative in your two arms or working on like power moves in your two arms, like handstand push-ups or presses or stolders. Um, yeah, whatnot. But if you do and you want to pursue it and you want to make that your main uh, priority, um, small increments of progress each session. And that's not like balance time. That's That could be like purely basing it off feel of the same amount of reps. So, oh, this feels a bit easier than last time or um, I'm a bit lighter on five fingers than I was you know, yesterday or last week or last month. Um, try to find those really specific small increments of progress um, instead of like the big uh, picture or like the end goal. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it's like viewing it as a wider field of just instead of just that that specific skill of the one-arm handstand, but if you just think about hand balancing as a whole, as we've sort of just covered before there's so many different ways that you can just keep on fine tuning on all these different aspects that will, that will help with all this one arm handstand work. If you, if you so go towards it, but maybe it might look not look sometimes so specific to like actually doing like the, like a one arm handstand yeah, yeah. like straddle straddle flag, but it will contribute to it. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just on this topic of, uh, yes, quickly, um touching on presses um because i guess this is like another one of those like skills where when you first see it i mean at least for me you know it was like first time i saw a straddle press it was like holy shit i want to <laughs> i want to do that like i didn't i didn't know yeah, something like that could uh could could work that way um but yeah you mentioned sort of uh like that uh, you start introducing press work was it what during that stage where people someone's working on the tuck or they've reached a certain level of the the tuck yeah um yeah uh i would yeah i would say like when you're if you can balance tuck um not if you're learning tuck like chest wall but if you're starting to balance tuck um, even if it's not 90 degrees necessarily, but if you can balance in a bit of a lower top heavy shape, then 
yeah, you're probably ready to do some press work. His shoulders are uh, stable enough to withstand a bit bit more loading um, going forwards. And with pre- press work, do you normally like get people just to do it in the same session with all the other sort of handstand work or is it like sort of separated out as more like because it's a m- more strength-based thing that's like in a different sort of session? Yeah, wh- what do you think? Uh, wait, can you repeat that again? Like with press work, do you sort of include it, say if you had a handstand session that is just like as part of one of the um, uh, one, one of the like series if you're working through like a, a program for fans and it's just like got, got press in there or do you sort of maybe separate it out in a separate session? Um, and then, oh, yeah. and then the handstand is more, you know, maybe more other sort of skill based, like tuck straddle straight sort of things, or yeah. Do you, do you prefer just to put it all together? Uh, I would say for me, if I was to do it for myself, I would put it all together. Um, but if I'm programming for someone, I'm going to ask, you know, obviously not everyone has the same routine and schedule. So I would try to fit it in a way that they're going to get the most out of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be different. So yeah, I would, I would say press work. If your shapes, if you, if you can't really tra- if you can't transition well in shapes then i would rather you focus on improving just balancing and transitioning in and out um, and then save the end of the session for specific press conditioning instead of training the actual like press skill itself so working your mobility working your like straight arm pushing like horizontally um, as well as like uh, doing yeah specific drills like you know your your pike slides or your straddle L sit stuff. Um, if you can maintain, um, if if you, if your like handstand is good enough to put it put the like shapes and endurance holds at the beginning as maintenance, then I would add in more press work that's actually training the like press itself it's actually more of the skill than the conditioning side of things um so like your wall presses your eccentrics your box presses um yeah name i don't know hundreds of other drills but um yeah if i would say if you can transition quite comfortably like if you can do straight to tuck at the beginning of your session, you don't need to have this whole, like you don't have to have this whole list of drills beforehand in order to get there. Then yeah, you, you should probably put more focus on press um, and yeah. working the skill. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Sort of um, if you're still where you're level at, you know, still trying to wrap your head around these shape transitions and the, and the straight to tuck and, um, you know, you can focus on that and you're probably going to be like a little bit tired after that as well. Then you can just work more specifically on these like, um, conditioning drills, like the, the pike slides and stuff. But then if you get through all that stuff and it becomes more of a, a warm up phase and you, you know, you're feeling good, then yeah, that's probably a time when you can just work directly on the press skill itself. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, other than 
handstanding itself, uh, but it'll ask like, what what else interests you in terms of um, maybe we can start with the physical realm, but I you know yeah. I wanted to also just get you outside of just physical training as well. You know, like what interests Lewis Yost? Man, I'm like really like fixated on one thing at a time hey so i'm actually trying to learn how to not be so fixated and obsessed on one thing um, i'm still doing a lot of strength um, work and i've actually got a bit of tendonitis so it's kind of forced me to not be so in that yeah like physical realm um and the physical side of things um, so i'm just still doing like push sessions um so what i'm focusing on like like still training wise is um, hypertrophy and endurance. Cause that's, I don't come from that background. I don't, I didn't come from lifting weights at the gym um, or like, you know, like endurance based tasks. I just did. Yeah. I just trained the skill over and over. So I'm trying to work on that element. Um, and that's mainly pushing because my pushing is a lot worse than my pulling. Um so oh, really? Yeah. 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 Normally, you know, I tr- attribute because you're always like hand balancing and stuff that your pu- pushing should be better than your pulling. Nah, my, my elevation and handstand pushing is good. But like, man, my planche in comparison to level of hand balancing is like trash. And handstand push-ups in comparison to my pulling is, isn't where I want it. So that's my main focus at the moment. Um, and I'm doing a lot more like weighted work. Um like your accessories like bench press and stuff um just because i haven't done it before um Mm. but i'm also trying to not be in yeah that like that physical uh, realm so much so yeah i'm like learning skills like like playing the piano again i used to play a lot when i was younger um was a lot younger so i'm trying to like relearn that um and just probably just being more social as well. Like not being so like, like obsessed with getting better and, you know, staring at the floor for like hours a day. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could, I could net do it really, but like I'd end up with shit like tendonitis and like, yeah, like injuries that I don't, I shouldn't really, um, shouldn't really be getting. Um, I can balance on my hands, but I'm trying to like balance the rest of my life out. Um, yeah nice and what sort of piano do you play um oh man nothing impressive <laughs> like uh i'm like just i can read like i can't read music um i used to be able to but at the moment i'm like learning a bit more of the theory again um just so i can actually like read like sheets i know all the chords and like i can't really link the chords but i know them individually um, but it's just like relearning um, how to actually like read music again. Yeah, awesome. I like the I like the jazz side of things. Like, um, yeah, the more like jazz and uh, like blues type of piano. I don't really like the classical stuff. Like, it's good, but it's jazz and like blues. You can kind of just like improv and do whatever. So classical, it's more just like you need to read the sheets and music, and you need to like you know, it's not it's not so free for all. And do you find like sort of that focus that you're able to channel into the physical practice and handstands, is that transferring with the same sort of level of intensity with the piano? Uh, 
Nah, nah, not as much. Not as much. I'm trying not to. Um, I'm trying to just like do it more for the fun, fun mm. of it, I guess. Um, and that's what I did with the handstands at the beginning. And it still is really fun for me, but because it's kind of the career path I want to go down and just like where I'm at at the moment, that's where I, I'm really strict with. And piano is more just like a, a side hobby. Yeah, I guess if you always like zone into everything, like with that level of intensity as well, you've only got so much intensity <laughs> capacity pretty, as well. Pretty much, man. Yeah, I don't want to be like, I don't plan on like teaching at all. So I'm just doing it for the fun of it. Um, and and yeah, it's in, it's enjoyable and just something I can do like every now and then. I don't plan on being like really good at it, but um. It would be nice if I could just like play a few things every now and then. And uh, say if you weren't at Movement Co. In, t- in teaching, you know, if for whatever reason you didn't live just, you know, 10 minutes down the road at, at Movement Co. and just didn't happen, what what do you think you'd be doing otherwise? Oh, man. Um, I don't want to know. Eh? No, nah, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've been doing this for a lot is a lot has changed obviously since I was 14, but one thing that stayed the same is my like training routine. So um, even like throughout adolescence, I did like the usual stuff, the usual like Australian adolescence, um, mm-hmm. but I've kept training in that routine solid. So um, I'm grateful to be able to still have the routine and be disciplined enough to keep that routine, um, especially throughout my like late teens. Yeah, I think if you can get through that period of your life whilst, you know, with that level of uh, discipline, you'll be able to make it through any other period, except maybe when you have kids. That will be your next test when you have Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that's far. I'm not even thinking about that, hey. <laughs> but I will say that hand balancing is a very kid-friendly one because you don't have to go to a gym or a special sort of place to do it. All you need is just that bit of floor and even with like a baby around or whatever, you know, like you you can do it. So it is a very accessible art to keep on. Yeah, that's why I like, that's honestly why I like it. The simplicity of it, but how like complicated is it is at the same time. Um, You know, all you need is a floor. Um, but the floor can keep you so entertained for like hours on end. And that just blows my mind, especially in an age where like it's hard to stay focused on things for so long and be attentive with the most basic things. You know, there's no stimulus besides the floor and your body. And that is something that I like, I find really like really, um, yeah, cool, I guess. Well, upcoming in, you know, say the next sort of six to 12 months on your schedule, um, what have you got planned? Uh, Yeah, are you just going to be sticking around with Movement Co and teaching or, you know, do you have any upcoming workshops or travels planned on the horizon? Um, Nothing's set in stone at the moment. Um, I'll continue to be probably in Perth for this year. and I have a few things in the works, but I want to, um, I plan on just building a bit more uh, of an online base first. Um, and then 
I do have a few things in mind. I would like to come over east and um love to have you. Yeah, hang out with you guys for a couple months. Um but yeah, we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens, hey. Um I would like to travel overseas as well. Um but yeah, nothing's properly set in stone just yet. But definitely towards the end of the year I'll have I'll have my mind set on um what things need to be done and where I want to take this, but at the moment, it's just, yeah, building a bit more of that um, online base up first. Yeah, awesome. Uh, what for anyone sort of interested in learning from you, say like online as well. What what do you recommend is the best way they get in touch? Uh yeah, Instagram, just Lewis Yost, um, L E W I S Y O S T, and then just that underscore. Um, yeah, working on handstands uh body weight like strength so yeah your normal gymnastics um type training or movement type training um as well as a bit of like flexibility and mobility um yeah and i would also like to improve the state of like um and like the movement handstand culture in perth still um i feel like um there's still a lot to improve um and yeah grow in this space so yeah awesome awesome well you know the level and the community that you guys are cultivating over there is like always amazing to to watch and see so it's great to hear that you think you know there's even like more levels above that you guys can help contribute to yeah it would be very cool to be able eventually and i don't know when this will be but um, put more of the movement space in like the regional um, areas as well because mm-hmm. WA is massive and although they're connected like digitally like digitally yeah like connected through the internet through you know social media they don't have those same resources so it'd be cool to kind of give some resource to those regional towns because australia is freaking huge and um i think movement would be a really um good aspect in those in those parts of australia yeah definitely i um i feel i feel you and you know for the ways that you guys are teaching it you know really high quality education as well i think you know so many people will benefit as as well so you know i think that's um for anyone listening as well if they're interested in online coaching you know after being a part of some of your instruction with the the previous sort of workshops so i can yeah uh, i know you guys have got like a really solid sense around like a, a good process and how to individualize that to people as well so um yeah really appreciate you coming on to share all these thoughts around i guess uh advancing the the handstand practice um have me found and yeah maybe one final thing is around the whole uh stand culture as well like what yeah. what what stand number would you say that that, that oh. you are what from zero to 99 up to you oh man or stand should i say there's no in between there, there's no in between with stands you're either you're either not in it or you're all in it and <laughs> if you're not in it you're a stand and if you're all in it you're a stand so I would say I'm um, like the 80, like I'd say stand 88 
Stan 88. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking a good one might be like 77. You know, you're like the double sevens. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Stan 77. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your thoughts. Um, appreciate no connecting with you once again, Louis. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Fail. Episode 72 is a wrap. Thanks to Lewis for jumping on the podcast. It'd be great to get him on once again. I always learn a lot when I speak with him and I can't wait to the next opportunity to practice and to meet with him in person once again. All right, guys. Well, I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Thanks to you for listening and continuing to support the podcast. Please remember to share it with a friend if you enjoyed it. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram. That's at Fayonp, at P-H-A-O-N-P, or on the website, thepassivehang.com. All right. As always, till the next episode, I'll see you guys then.